Welcome to Mind Love, episode 132. Today's episode is all about getting the most out of your life lessons. I just feel like everything that happens to me is something I'm supposed to learn from. So the the self-worth thing, or if you're talking about the coronavirus or anything that pops up or a breakup or a death, you sit there and you're like, okay, number one, your amount of anxiety and stress and depression will be in direct correlation with how much you're resisting the way that the world actually is. So if somebody dies and you're resisting it, you're going to be way more stressed out. But the sooner that you can accept it and go through the grieving process, the quicker you can extract your lesson. When something bad happens, I want to feel it because I can't appreciate a beautiful sunset with my girlfriend and my dog if I haven't been drugged through a whole bunch of crap. The sunset is more beautiful and life is more beautiful even in the most boring times when I felt the lowest of low emotions. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. You guys, this week has been so rough. I've just been crying for seemingly no particular reason. If you follow me on Instagram, I have been sharing about it in real time. Keep in mind, this is being recorded end of April. So if you're not a member, you're getting this at the end of May. But if you are a member, you got this early. But no worries, it's all good and relevant regardless of when it's coming at you. So basically, the first few weeks of quarantine, I felt great. I was sure that I was experiencing this whole event differently because of all the work I'd done on myself over the years. And that was actually true. I had this love and acceptance for what was happening and what the universe was guiding me to do right now. But what wasn't true is that the work on myself made me somehow above the grief process that might come with all of it. Well, because I had this belief that I wasn't very affected by it at all, it actually made it harder for myself to notice the subtle emotions underneath what I call my hard candy shell. And because there aren't as many distractions available, even just simple things like going out to eat or walking the pier or grabbing some wine with the girls, there's less to distract from all the feels. I miss my mom. I miss going places. I miss the beach. I miss really good hugs from friends. And a big part of my business was affected. Honestly, I was really excited about some opportunities that were happening in March and April. Things that were canceled. Income that was lost. So these first few weeks, I didn't realize that I wasn't allowing myself to feel these things. I was using self-care as a distraction. I was reframing everything to see the good in it. And don't get me wrong, reframing things is a really good skill to have. It's a skill that's been necessary to every single level of my healing and my growth. But what's also important is feeling the grief, letting the emotions run through you, giving yourself a good cry. Yes, it is good to focus on the positive, but not necessarily by pretending that the negative doesn't exist at all. I needed to acknowledge my losses and to feel all the emotions that go with that loss before just jumping right into all the reframing, like why is this the best thing for me and why is it the best thing for the planet and all that good mindset stuff. 
what I realized is that if I don't give myself the space and the time to do that, it will all come out just in less healthy or productive ways, like maybe wanting all the wine or randomly crying on a walk or feeling irritable and unproductive. So that's what I did. I decided to give myself the space to grieve without judgment. That part is important. I know that many people have it worse than me, and the same is probably true for you, but that doesn't make your feelings any less valid. So I sat down and I journaled without reframing, just giving a voice to my feelings. And then I sat with it in meditation and then a long drive and then a walk in nature. I was allowing myself to feel all the things, giving myself the love that a mom would do for a crying child, just holding space for me to feel. I took time to notice where I felt the feelings in my body. My whole body felt heavy. And then something interesting happened. About two minutes in, I actually started twitching. My muscles were spasming, and I intuitively knew that my emotions were running their course, releasing through my body. The whole thing felt really powerful. And I'll be honest, I am still going through this process. I recognize that the last few days have been a little harder to choose the things that are good for me because I'm drawn to the things that match my current vibration. But what I know is that I have to make space for my own transformation. Just like how you can read a hundred books, but if you never take the time to reflect and see how you can apply the lessons to your current situation, you won't get that much out of it. The same is true for life and its lessons. You can't just roll through them all the time. Or you can, but you might even miss the lesson altogether. The more willing you are to reflect on what happened, how you're affected, how you handled it, how you might do better now that you know better, that's when you grow the most. Right now, we're living through a unique experience, one with its own unique lessons. The more willing you are to take a good, honest look at what you're going through, the more in touch you'll be with your own knowing. Today's interview is really fitting because we're going to be talking about finding your lessons. A lot of us don't give ourselves the space for introspection or we don't acknowledge our feelings, or we look to other people to validate those feelings, or we compare. So today, we're gonna give you an alternative approach. And our guest is Rob Dial. Rob is the host of a top 100 iTunes podcast, The Mindset Mentor, with 2 million downloads per month. He has organically grown his social media following to over 2 million people and garnered over a billion organic viral video views. So you know his content is top notch. His podcast is full of little bite-sized nuggets of wisdom, so today he's going to share some of those nuggets with us. And three key things that we will learn are what children can teach us about emotional intelligence, how to extract lessons from every area of life, and how to stop asking permission outside of yourself. Before we dive in, do you need a little help starting each day as the best version of you? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power list to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. 
Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Rob Dial to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So first of all, I've been checking out your podcast and I love it. I feel like we also have a lot in common. We both go by mindset mentors <laughs> rather than a coach, which I like. And uh, some things in our past are pretty similar too, but I'll let you tell your story first because I know that a lot of people who are teaching growth and mindset were usually scratching their own itch first. So what is your story and how did you get into all this? So, um, so yeah, I, I basically had, I had a decent childhood. It was okay. Um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was nine cause my father was an alcoholic and, um, I was never one of the kids who thought of it as my problem. Like I, I never, when my parents got divorced, I didn't think it was my fault. I, I was very well, well aware that it was his issue and his demons that he had in his past. So you have an idea of why he was an alcoholic. And I understood this at a very young age. And I think that's why it's gotten me to what I do now is when he was 12 years old, my dad heard a gunshot and walked into his parents' room and he had seen that his dad had shot himself in the mouth with a shotgun. So then his entire life changed. I don't think my dad ever got past that. And I was very well aware of it as a child. And now they're starting to say, you know, in the past couple of years, research has come out and Gabor Mate talks about it, is that all addictions are connected to some form of trauma that has not been resolved. I was somehow very well aware of that with my father. And I knew, okay, he's an alcoholic because he's got his issues. And um, when I was 15 years old, he passed away from being an alcoholic. You know, I remember he died on November 1st, 2001 on my sister's birthday, which was November 24th. My mom, my sister, myself went out to Olive Garden and I was driving back. I was only 15 years old, so I had my permit. So I was driving the car like, you know, every 15 year old always wants to drive the car. And my mom asked the question and we were at a stoplight. She said, you know, so it's been 23 days since your dad died. Now, how are you feeling? You know, what do you feel about it? I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I was just a wise kid or whatever it was, but I said, I think that if dad were to understand how much good is going to come from this, then he would be okay with dying. Since then, it's been my mission to, to figure out some sort of way to, to get some good out of my father's passing. Um, I tried to, at 15 years old, speak at Alcoholics Anonymous so that the people who are in there could get a perspective of somebody who you know, had a father who went through that. And uh, they actually wouldn't let me in because you can't, you can't go into Alcoholics Anonymous unless you're an alcoholic. You know, so I finished high school, went to college. At 19 years old, I found a company called Cutco, Cutco Knives. We sold, you know, house, sold uh, knives in people's houses. And they just, it was my first time getting into personal development. And when I found it, I became obsessed. Um, I hired my first one-on-one -on -one coach when I was 19 years old. I paid him 500 bucks a month, which was more than I paid in rent. It was like 500 bucks is like all of the money in the world to a 19-year-old. But I was like, I'm going to make this work. So I coached with him for two years. That on top of Cutco completely changed my life. I became obsessed with it. You know, I trained a few thousand sales reps by the time I was 24 and just loved teaching people the stuff that helped me get over all of my demons. I, when I left Cutco because I got burnt out, I missed it. And so in 2005 or 2015, I started a podcast called The Mindset Mentor, uh, which is still running. We're about 750 episodes in. It comes out three times a week. And um, I just, I felt obligated. There was a point, my girlfriend and I were literally in Jason's Deli, which is just a chain here in America. It was like, a, it, it got to like a fever pitch in my mind of like the universal slap. Like if you don't make a change now, like something drastic is going to happen in your life. And that's what I always tell people is like, the universe will speak to you in whispers. And if you don't listen, you don't listen, you don't listen. It'll usually smack the crap out of you. 
And it could come with a car accident. It could come with the death of a loved one. It could come with losing your job. It could come with coronavirus. It could come with anything where it's just like the universal smack of like, wake the hell up. And I felt like I was getting really close to that. And we're in Jason's deli and it seemed like everybody was yelling at their kids and they were like, they look like zombies. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it was just me or if it was actually that way. And they were overweight and they were yelling at their kids. Like I was saying, it's just, it's just the energy in the room felt terrible. I told my girlfriend, I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to start a podcast on, you know, teaching people the stuff that's really helped me in my life. Um, I was a musician at the time. So I had all of the recording equipment I needed, started the podcast in 2015. Um, you know, saw some pretty decent success. It started taking off, you know, pretty quickly, uh, started growing a Facebook following and putting my messages on video because I realized, you know, I remember seeing an article that said by 2021, 85% of the, 85% of the content consumed on the internet will be video. So I started making videos, viral videos on mindset, on life, you know, and then it took off. So you know, we did about 1.5 billion views, I think, at this point on Facebook. And there's about almost 2.2 million people that follow me on Facebook, a few hundred thousand people that follow me on Instagram. And, you know, it's just kind of kind of grown exponentially in the past five years, but then really a, a ton in the past probably 18 months to two years. So that's me in a nutshell. There's a lot in there. We could, we could unpack yeah. a lot of stuff. It's so interesting when you are able to concisely wrap up your story and you can see how things led to another. But a lot of times when mm -hmm. we're in it, it's almost, it's difficult to see how everything's going to lay out. But oh, it's yeah. interesting because, okay, so we have a lot in common. First of all, my really? dad was an alcoholic as well. My parents got a divorce. I never blamed myself either. Actually, they got a divorce Ooh. when I was so young that it was just something I was used to. And I clearly mm -hmm. saw that my dad had his own issues. The difference is my dad did become sober when I was really young. So I kind of got to see that side, but mm -hmm. his issues were still very clear to me. And his issues arose because his dad uh, ended up committing suicide and killing wow. his mo mom in the process. Oh my and God. my dad was the oldest of eight kids and he saw his dad being abusive. And it was, he was not only abusing his mom, but also he started going down the line of kids, starting with my dad since he was the oldest. And my dad would fight back. And he actually became a championship wrestler, partially motivated just to mm -hmm. be able to defend his family. Mm -hmm. And so when the, when the abuse started going down the line of kids, that's when my grandma asked for a divorce. And that's when things went sour. He couldn't handle that. And so I was just very clearly aware of my dad's issues. But the difference is, is my dad ended up dying in 2004 of lymphoma. You seem to have this really broad, like almost spiritual awareness at such a young age. And when, when my dad mm -hmm. died when I was 19, instead of viewing it in that way, I actually feel like I kind of adopted a lot of my dad's issues. It was like, I need to carry them further or something like that. Right. Or, or it was right. like, a, I definitely was in victim mode. Um, and I, I ended up partying way too hard for way too long and just self-sabotaging. So I ended up going to that point that you were talking about, waiting for the universal smack, not listening to the whispers at all. And I ended up in a jail cell for somebody else's crime, trying to figure out oh where God. I was going to flow up, throw up my food. And that was my wake-up call. Wow. So it's like, I'm curious though, do, what do you attribute to you having that kind of awareness or being able to see things and and already start your life on this positive trajectory, whereas so many other people do what I did and they just let it spiral. 
And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. What do you attribute to you having that kind of awareness or being able to see things and and already start your life on this positive trajectory whereas so many other people do what I did and they just let it spiral. Yeah, I to be honest with you I don't know. I honestly see that as a different person which I've been told by psychologists is called disassociation, but but I also feel like if I were to be like, yeah, well that was a really smart wise 15-year-old, it also sounds kind of narcissistic. So I like I look at myself at 15 years old and I'm like, I don't know where that awareness came from, but um I think that it was just this this internal drive of just wanting to make good out of bad. And I remember when I was younger, when I was young, my mom used to listen to Tony Robbins. And I thought it was the dumbest thing. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. I was like, why is she listening to this positive mindset guy? Like, that's so corny. And then (laughs) at uh, 13 years old, I was was always into sports. I was obsessed with sports. And I was kind of like my safe haven from everything. And 13 years old, I I was the, the captain of the basketball team that I was on. And we were playing my best friend's team. And he was the captain of the basketball, his basketball team in the championship game. And he was way better than I was. Like he was way, way better. And I was so nervous because I was like, Eddie's so much better than me. Like he's gonna destroy us. But I'm the captain, so I'm supposed to be the best one. And so my mom sat me down and she's like, well, have you thought of visualizing it? And I was like, I'm 13 years old. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And she's like, you know, go into your room, lay down on the floor and just close your eyes and visualize the game happening and visualize all of it happening the exact way that you want to and go through the motions and go through the motions and spend like 20, 30 minutes doing it. And that way, when you get to the, the, the court, it'll feel like you've already done it. And it won't feel like something you need to be nervous of because it's something that you've already done. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll go try it. So I remember literally going into, I actually went into the bathroom went into the bathroom and I laid there for 20, 30 minutes and I visualized the game. And I remember getting to the game and it was literally like, I wasn't nervous at all. And I was like, this is crazy. I I basically through visualizing the future that I wanted, uh, was able to live it. 
and then go and create it. And there was no nerves that were there because I had already done it. So I think that, you know, there was probably some small bits of programming that were there. And my mom was just, she, she was just an incredible person. Like the stuff that she was able to do, she never made excuses. She worked two or three jobs. Like she was, she's just a powerful woman. And so I think just from her of seeing like, okay, you know, all of the things that happened, there's a bunch of stories of, you know, my father being in jail and all of that stuff as well. She never made excuses for it. She never, you know, wanted pity for it. She never wanted assistance for financially from our, my grandparents or anything like that. So I think she was just like, you know what, I'm going to make it happen. And so for me, when I saw this bad thing happen, I was like, this could be bad the rest of my life, or I could just figure out a way to make it good. And I think that I just figured it out and it clicked. And I never really saw my outlet for the next four years until I was able to get into Cutco and go, oh my gosh, like this is my outlet to change. And when it, when it came up, I just became obsessed with it. And um, I wish I could say like I meditated at that age or I had some spiritual awakening or something like that. But I think it was just, you know, I've always been really quiet. Like I am an introvert, which has surprised a lot of people. I prefer to be alone. So I sit quietly a lot after it happened. I got even more quiet and I was able to think and process it. When most people, when somebody dies, they try not to feel the grief. And I remember the feeling and I was like, this is the worst day of my life, but this is the best day of my life because, and that's what I've, I've said since the day it happened, is because, um, because it gave me the awareness that, that this life is going to end and I need to do everything that I possibly can. Like my father was the very first person that I ever knew that passed away. And it was unexpected. We weren't, ex you know, he was an alcoholic, but we weren't expecting it to happen. So, um, for me, it was just like, you know, I think there were just a bunch of little teeny tiny seeds that were dropped along the way and they all kind of rose at the same time and, and, and worked out perfectly in line for me. I think it's so interesting how a lot of times we assume that children can't internalize certain things mm -hmm. when a lot of times they might not internalize it in the same way that an adult is, but it's, it becomes a foundation for the way that they think. And one of those was, I remember when I was in like sixth grade, I started to hear the words or the phrase mind over matter and understand what that was. And I just remember being in PE and like, all of a sudden I was like, mind over matter, I'm going to win this mile. It was like the, <laughs> the, how you had to run the mile every year, you know, and like do it for time. <laughs> and at the time I had asthma and I was like, I'm not going to have asthma anymore and I'm going to win this mile. And I remember it working for me. Somehow. That's amazing. And it was because my mom had joined Amway and mm -hmm. that didn't turn out amazing, but they did have a book club <laughs> and <laughs> I, I would get a taste of these these higher ways to think of things from these sales books and like the five love languages. And I didn't understand it in a way that I do now whatsoever, but it, I, I really attribute some of those lessons at such a young age to allowing, to forming the basis for how flexible my mind is now. And some of the things that are really easy for me to believe that I don't have to convince myself because of those seeds that were planted. So I feel like it's really going to change the way that I raise my kids when I have them. I'm oh, going sure. to explain things to them. In, and it'll also make me a better teacher because you have to learn to explain something in a way for somebody who's going to absorb it in a different way than you, if that makes sense. I think the children are more intelligent than us. And the reason why I say this is because... Um, they're not socialized yet. And if you go back, if you go back to, you know, what I was saying of, of most people, when somebody dies, they try to keep themselves busy to not feel the grief. Like that's not a way to work through something, but children tend to do it differently. And I think, I think that children are number one, like my thing that I absolutely love is early childhood, like neurology, psychology, and early childhood development are my favorite things to, to research. 
children are so ridiculously emotionally intelligent and people act like their children don't understand things and they might not understand it on the intellectual level that you do. But as far as on the emotional level and is just on the, do you want to call it spiritual level of just, uh, just the deep understanding that goes into them? I think that they can understand things just as well of us, if not better, because they're using it through no filter of their entire life, of the filter, you know, if I see anything that I see, I'm seeing through a filter of every single life event, every great thing, every trauma that happened in my life. And I'm only getting pieces of it because I'm filtering out all the pieces that don't make sense with my current life. A child can internalize everything. And the majority of their life from zero to seven years old is actually in theta state. Like their brain is in theta state. And theta, it goes, you know, if, if you go up and you go look higher, there's gamma, there's beta, there's delta. And then there's theta, which is hypnosis state is what they also call it. And usually where people's brains get to if they're really good at meditation. And so that's why they absorb things and they're like a sponge so much. So I think that, and that's why they can learn so quickly. So people act like children are not intelligent. And I think that they're way more intelligent than people actually understand. And in some cases, I think they're more intelligent because they don't have the filter of... The, all of the BS that they've gone through their entire life, the life event has to go through. It's so true. And they're not trying to be cool. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, like how right. many things do right. you, even without knowing, are you bouncing off of like, well, how is, how are people going to respond mm -hmm. to this? And especially there's those years where now I'm getting past that. Like I have enough knowledge where I'm like, okay, no, that's not how I want to. I still find myself mm -hmm. filtering it through that process sometimes, but it's a trigger for me to stop and tune inward and, and try to find what's authentic to me. But mm -hmm. there's this period of time from like high school through college or middle school through college and longer for some people where it's like, well, this isn't going to be widely accepted or this isn't what other people would wear or act or how they would, For sure. you know, and even it even comes through on how you post on Facebook. Like, well, what are people are going to think about this? That mm -hmm. did this get, get as many likes? And so before that, yeah, it's all absorption. And so it also makes you, I'm getting to the age where I'm thinking about kids a lot. I never thought I was going to have them. And now I'm like, I think it's time. <laughs> so I'm always like, like watching other people, my cousins and things like that. And, and just seeing like, okay, well, what would I do differently? What would I do similar? And mm -hmm. what's interesting now is I'm wondering how this, what we're going through right now is going to affect children. Do you think it's going to be in a positive way? Because guess a lot of them might not have that same kind of socialization right now, or it could I mean, we've never gone through something like this. What happens when you socially isolate kids for a certain amount of time? <laughs> um, you know, here's the thing. I, I wouldn't call it an issue. I would call it a, you know, a, a good issue, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm optimistic on everything. I can always find the good in, in something. I don't want to seem not empathetic to everything that's happening in the world right now because I absolutely am. I understand there's people that are sick, there's people that are terrified, there's people that are dying, but never before has the entire world been affected by one event, and especially not for the continued amount of time that we've had it now. I think that it's going to end up being a great thing. As far as how it's going to affect children, if we want to specifically talk about that, you have to realize that some children are getting more time with their parents right now than they've ever had in their entire life. And that is always a good thing. If there was, and it, they don't, it doesn't even matter as far as like, you know, it matters how much time they're spending with them and how much they're paying attention. But just the fact of the, you know, even if you go younger, there's a lot of studies of just the, the, the presence of a parent in the way it makes a child feel. 
uh, of having the presence of a parent around. Not, you know, obviously it's good to have them engage and for them to be there and all that stuff. But the presence of a parent, if we're talking, and it sounds woo-woo-y of being like vibrationally or freak on a frequency, you know, which it sounds woo-woo-y, but it's actually scientifically proven now as far as like the attachment period. For me, I know that because of the fact that my, you know, my father was an alcoholic and my mom had to work multiple jobs. Um, you know, I've gone to therapists that have said I was a latchkey kid, which, you know, when I was eight, nine years old, I would go from school, I'd go straight home and I would be the only one at home for six, seven hours sometimes because my sister had, a, you know, she was 16. So she had a job. My mom was gone working. My dad was gone working. I was always by myself. And so that is uh, what I've been, you know, actually working through and come to find out is a form of neglect. That is emotional uh, neglect of not having a parent there. And so there's a lot of things that I had to try to figure out on myself, which is why I do like being an introvert because that's how I, that's how I cope. That's how I understand things is from being quiet. So if we're looking at it just from the sense of children, I think that even the presence of a parent is incredible for them. And, you know, are there some parents that are terrible parents that are probably at their wits end and freaking out? And absolutely. Are there some great parents that are freaking out? Probably as well. I wouldn't be surprised. But I think that just the presence of having their parents around and the more of emotional security versus me coming home at eight years old, nine years old and being like, I don't, if somebody breaks in, like, I, there's nothing that I can do. You know, there's just that thought in the back of your head all the time. I think that uh, there'll be some sort of way and I, I don't predict the future, but I think that it will help children and I think it's going to help relationships. And I really think that this is, I, I am very big on this is going to be something that's going to change the world. And I think it's, I think it's actually shifting human consciousness. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I am on the same train with that. I have already noticed a lot of positive changes. There's been some hard days for sure, especially Mm. recently. (laughs) I was like, man, I thought I had just posted on Instagram about this because weeks one through three, I felt like I was thriving. I was so grateful (laughs) for the work that I had done on myself because I felt like it was changing my experience with this. I am used Mm -hmm. to seeing the good, especially in the things I cannot change. I appreciate you uh, saying making the clarification of that doesn't mean that there's no empathy or that Mm -hmm. I even am in the same boat as some of the people that are struggling the most at the same time, highlighting those things and, and talking about those things when we can't change it doesn't do any Mm -hmm. good. And so Mm -hmm. if you're in a situation where you have to accept your reality, then you can either come out of it angry and pissed off, or you can come out of it seeking what's in this for you even if it's not ideal in your current circumstances. So Mm -hmm. I agree with that as well. And right now, what's interesting is because obviously so many of us have way more time. I mean, I guess I'm hearing different from some parents where they're like, okay, it's a whole different (laughs) thing if you're stuck at home with four kids or whatever. But we have a different kind of time regardless, whether you're busy during that time or not. We have this this incubator of a, a new experience for us right now. And I'm curious, though, because you said that you you sit alone with your thoughts a lot. What does that look like for you? Because I know a lot of people, especially nowadays, are so addicted to the stimulation that even mm-hmm. though there's so much time, that time is being used to binge Netflix or even sitting there for a few moments with your thoughts. It's hard not to reach for your phone. So how do you avoid those types of stimulation? And do you just... Is sitting alone with your thoughts just sitting and staring at the wall and thinking? Is it meditation? Yeah. So a couple of things. I'll go back to something that you said even before that is as far as how it's shifting people. I can give you an idea just from another perspective as well, too, is so so what I do is obviously I've I've you know built coaching programs. I've been a coach for a while. Is now I teach coaches how to build their following and to actually like literally become coaches. And the crazy thing about it is, believe it or not, even though you would think that people are struggling and, you know, there's people that don't have money and jobs and all that stuff, the people who I coach have actually seen massive spikes in the people who want life coaching or wellness coaching or fitness coaching or whatever it is, nutritional coaching, which shows you that people are actually sitting at home thinking, God, how should I change myself? Which is incredible because maybe that's the big shift that a lot of people needed is just like now that you're sitting at home and you're not at your job, you're not keeping busy every single second with the stimuli that you're talking about. Maybe they're sitting there and they're going, okay, the first week I'm gonna drink some beers. It's gonna be fun. It's kind of like, you know, I used to live in Florida. I was, grew up there. So it's a hurricane party. You know, it's kind of like that type of thing where it's like, let's party, let's drink, let's play some games. And then three weeks in, you're like, the hell am I doing with my life? 
like, like I'm overweight or, you know, I'm miserable or whatever it is. And they're reaching out to these coaches being like, Hey, can I get some help? Can I get some fitness help or nutritional help? So that shows me with the huge bike that I've seen with all the people that we've coached that, that we're going in the right direction. It makes me super positive in the fact that we're going that direction. The second part of the, the question that you asked though, is like this morning, uh, here's the thing. I, I literally, I'm a hundred percent. My business is all online. So not a whole lot has changed for me, except for we've gotten busier, but that means that I'm always having to be on my phone. I'm always having to be on my, you know, uh, literally when we get off of this, I have a, a call with, you know, like 200 people that are going to be on a zoom call. And so it's like, I'm always going as well. And so I get it. But with that being said, it's not like in the middle of the day, I have a whole lot of time to just sit there and stare at a wall, but I try to find times for it, which is the important thing. Um, I wish that I could be just a Zen Buddhist monk and run the business that I have and, you know, do all the stuff that I have now and literally just, just live life like that. It would be great. It'd be perfect for me, but I, I wouldn't be able to accomplish my life mission of uh, helping a billion people by doing that. And so I have to make space for it. And this is like non-negotiable space. And so this morning, you know, we're in, we, we live in Austin, Texas. We're in Sedona right now. We were supposed to be here for four weeks. We do a good amount of traveling. We usually gone about 50% of the year. And, um, we were in Sedona, we we're supposed to be here for four weeks. We've now been here for nine because we're just going to stay here. You know, we have this beautiful view that's here. You know, I, I went outside, I took my tea with me, my dog sat out there and we just looked at this beautiful view for about 45 minutes and just sat in the sun, no music, nothing, no stimuli, any of those things. And I just allow myself space. And sometimes I sit there and believe it or not, nothing happens, no ideas, nothing. And that's got to be okay. And that's, that's the thing is I'm not sitting there trying to get something out of it, which I think a lot of, I did that for a while, but I think a lot of people do that as well. But I believe that none of my ideas, you know, and this might be on the woo woo side, I don't believe that any of my ideas actually come from me. Um, I just believe that something is giving them to me every once in a while, but I don't hear them unless I'm sitting silently. And so I try to just give myself the space 45 minutes in the morning, whether it's through meditating, you know, I meditated this morning for about 15 minutes. Sometimes I do it for an hour, but I just, even if it's just sitting and staring at a wall, like when we're in Austin, we live in a downtown apartment, you know, I'll sit there in my living room, TV off. And I look at the, the wall where the TV is and I'll just sit there with my tea and I'll just think and just allow space to be there and just go, you know what? There is nothing more important that needs to be accomplished, which is really hard for me. There's nothing important that needs to be accomplished right now. This is scheduled and your schedule as you time. Just sit and be quiet. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy sitting with your dog. Enjoy your cup of coffee or your tea. And you know, when 10 o'clock hits or nine o'clock hits, depending on what day it is, that's when your schedule will start working. That's really what it looks like. And some days, like I said, nothing happens. And I'm like, cool. Well, at least I feel more present. And then some days I'm like, holy crap, I literally just got something that's an incredible idea for a viral video that I'll make or a podcast episode or my coaching clients or another business or something like that. I think when you go into it with no attachment and expecting nothing is usually, believe it or not, when the things actually come to you. So that's kind of what the, the routine looks like for me. And then throughout the day, I try to find moments of space. Okay, I've got 15 minutes for my next call. I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and just close my eyes and just be. The, it's like the phrase, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. Just try to be more. That's it. I, do you know who Paul Selig is? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's I actually... Uh, I actually uh, was on my Instagram the other day and he liked one of my photos and I was like, holy crap, Paul Selig just liked my photo. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I love him. And, and so I started a conversation with him on Instagram, but yeah, I, I love his stuff. 
I uh, found Paul Selig years ago, right? It was when he was still in his first trilogy. I became obsessed. I've interviewed him on Mind Love, and actually his team just reached out to me, so I'm going to be interviewing him again for his next book. I'm so excited. But I went to one of his in-person workshops, and he is not only a medium, but he's also... He's psychic. And so he can, he'll come to you for things as he puts it. And so I asked him a question. And at the time I was still kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was just about to start mind love, but wasn't super clear. And I ended up doing this or asking him, like, am I on the right path? Like, it's like I needed external validation still. Mm -hmm. And he came to me and he did this like weighing thing. And he's like, you're funny. You're kind of like a little here, a little there, maybe this, maybe that. And he basically said, it's like, you're so open-minded that you can basically weigh any truth at any time. And he said, but (laughs) I think what you need is just stop doing for a minute and just start being. And at the Mm -hmm. time I, I thought I knew what that meant, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, why couldn't he just be a little bit more clear? But I totally Mm -hmm. feel you because In those moments where I think a lot of people, especially when they're starting to try to create that space, I remember a different company I was working for and I was like, I need to be creative. And I was like Googling how to get into my creative brain. And I'm like, just play and just be. And I was like, what does this mean? Yeah. In doing that, I was putting pressure on myself, trying to force an idea in this time that was supposed to be more just acceptance and allowance and letting ideas flow or not, whatever decided to happen. And the thing is, is that you don't know the space that you created right then that you may not have thought led to anything might have been the space that drew in the idea that happens tomorrow. It doesn't need to happen right then when you're creating the space. But if you don't ever create that space, then your head is full. (laughs) You know, you already have all the thoughts coming in and out. Like what room is there to even have a creative idea next week? So I think a lot of times our expectations are unrealistic because we're expecting everything to happen right now, just like we've trained ourselves like, oh, I can pick up my phone and have a new piece of information to receive right now. Why doesn't my brain work in the same way? And so it's these things that we're creating are more of building a foundation regardless of when that comes. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm like super, super visual. So I always see everything in my head first. But the I remember when I, <laughs> this just came to me. So like, I remember when I was a little kid, do you remember CB radios, like the radios that truckers communicate with? Yeah. Have you ever used one of those? So when I was, when I was younger, I was in like elementary school, my friend had a CB radio and it was like a 20, like there was like a 20 or 30 foot, like just really long and skinny wire that went off the top of their, their roof that basically got them to communicate with truckers. And this is, I guess what people used to do before there was the internet. So, so this is what we did. And we would scroll through and sometimes we would find the the channel that all the truckers went on and we could talk to them and you know, it's like these 10 year old kids that are talking these like 50 year old truckers with like, you know, deep country (laughs) accents and stuff. And we'd have these conversations, but then sometimes there would be nobody on. And I think that kind of the way that it works and the way that I'm seeing it in my head is, is ideas and creativity only come to you when you're, you're allowing yourself the space. And it's kind of like scrolling through the radio and sometimes something comes in and sometimes it doesn't, but it just because it didn't come in today doesn't mean that you shouldn't go tomorrow and actually scroll through the CB radio and see if you can get some sort of frequency. And that's just kind of the way that I see, like, I don't want to take any ideas, like any credit for any of the ideas that I've made. Like I said, like I, I see myself more as a messenger or a conduit more than anything else where I'm just like, this idea came to me, I'm going to make it. And I've always felt that way, which is kind of weird because you don't hear it explained. And then I read a book called Big Magic by uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, the same woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. 
And she talks about this. She talks about how up until recently, if you go back to the Greeks and the Romans and, you know, all of the incredible artists that came out of Florence, Italy, is they never actually took any credit for anything that they did. They always thought that they had a muse. And in some of those days, they actually thought a muse was a spirit that lived inside of their walls. And sometimes it would come out and give them really good ideas. And sometimes it wouldn't. And therefore, they could never take full credit for what they make. But then they could also never fully blame themselves for not being fully creative because their muse also didn't show up. And I heard that and I was like, oh my God, that's kind of, the, I don't think anything lives in my walls. Hopefully it doesn't. But I've always just felt that way of like, these ideas are not mine. And if I don't shut up for a little while, then I'll never hear them. And so I just try to, I also know like, I would also say if anybody wants to kind of, you know, turn their creative brain and, and if this is stimulating them sort of way and they want to kind of think about it. See, start to start to think about how your creative brain works. Like for me, mine, once I get into work mode, because I'm, I'm hyper-focused, like I just have this thing where the world doesn't exist if I'm on something. Uh, like my girlfriend was literally just sending me, like she was talking to me just a few minutes ago when I was right before we started. I'd even hear a word she said because I was in the middle of working on something and I didn't even know she said anything. But she's come to realize after being with me for years that that's just how I am. I'm just hyper-focused. But um, I've come to realize that if I don't turn on my creative brain in the morning, it will not be on the rest of the day. Um, because if I literally wake up and I go straight into work mode, the brain it literally goes straight into work mode. You know, productivity and creativity, I don't think are on the same wavelength. But if I turn on my creative brain, I sit there for 30, 45 minutes and just simply be, I'll notice that when I get into work, I start having better ideas for work. So it's literally like I turn on the faucet and it continues to flow the rest of the day. And sometimes it comes through really strong and hot. And sometimes it comes through just a, you know, a little bit of a couple drops, but that's kind of the way that I see it in my head of just like exist and just allowed to come through with absolutely no attachment to it. What I love about that is a lot of people have a problem or have one of their biggest mindset blocks is in worthiness. It's, it comes up a lot with, mm -hmm. with listener emails and things like that, where, you know, they might have an idea, but then they're just like, well, I don't know if I can pull it off. There's something about feeling like, wait, this idea came to me and it's something I'm receiving. It's something I'm attracting for some reason. Mm -hmm. Then who are you to say that, you know, at that point, it's your responsibility. It's like, okay, well, this came through. Like I should create this. There's maybe there's meaning in this for me to create this rather than, is this my idea? Is it good enough? Because when it's already yours and it's attached to you, you can have all these preconceived notions about, I mean, the way you even handle that idea the way the the trust you have in yourself to create it whereas if it's sure. being attracted to you that's not there it's like this is an amazing idea i just downloaded it <laughs> whatever it yeah, might be 100% and it can help you to even view yourself in a different way like if this came to me maybe i'm the one that's supposed to do that maybe there's something mm -hmm. special about me receiving this idea and use that to boost your self esteem a little bit for sure and here's the thing is Going back to what you said about worthiness, I believe that everybody has worthiness issues that they have to work through. And somebody who really explains this well, that's like I consider a mentor of mine, even though he's dead, is Ramdas. And Ramdas talks about the socialization process. And, you know, Ramdas is, you know, died a spiritual teacher, is a spiritual teacher for like 60, 70 years. But before that, he was actually, you know, one of the assistant heads of psychology at Harvard. And um, he talks about the socialization process. And he also, you know, specialized in, in early childhood development. And, you know, you take these beautiful beings that are literally perfect as they come in. And as they are, quote unquote, perfect, they still don't fit with our society. And so you have to socialize a child, whether that be through 
they see what they're supposed to do by just watching other people or they're reprimanded in some sort of ways. And I think that what happens is it tends to, you go and do something and you're a little tiny child. And the, the visual that I see in my head is like, you're a little tiny child and you, you do something and you break it. The, your, your parents like, no, 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 that's not what you're supposed to do. So you have to look up and see them and you know, okay, I broke that. Now I got to go try to do something else. And then you start to realize that you're always kind of being watched by someone that's bigger than you, supposedly smarter than you, that's in control. And so you're kind of going through your entire childhood, your very early childhood, looking up and being like, am I doing this right? You know, for everything that you do until you get socialized to start doing things right, like stop crying in public, start, stop taking your clothes off in public, stop, you know, wetting yourself, all of those things that children do. But if you're raised to always look up and go, am I doing this right? And then you get to 20 years old and you leave the house, 18 years old and you leave the house you're always have that programmed into you of like, am I doing this right? And so I think that our lack of worth comes from the fact of we don't need to look to somebody else to see if we're doing it right. We just need to figure out a way to be confident that everything that we do is done in our best interest with our best intentions, with the amount of knowledge that we have at that current time, whether we screwed up or whether we don't, we tried our best and we need to be okay and let go of that. Like, am I doing this right? Looking up at a parent. And that's the thing that I've, you know, no matter how much trauma you have or have not had, even if you've had a perfect life, you still had things that you did wrong in childhood and you had to be socialized in some sort of way. And I think that that gets the the am I doing this right is where the the lack of worthiness comes from. And I think that ultimately a human's life goal is to have that unworthiness programmed into them, you know, unintentionally most of the time. And the life purpose is to go back to I am worthy. I love myself no matter what happens. I agree with all of that. There's something that it immediately brought up from my childhood. My mom was an amazing mom. We have a very close relationship. Mm -hmm. One of her ways, though, of training me to be a human was I was always like the shock factor kid. I had a really bold personality. My family's a little bit out there and and they all think they're funny. And so we just did inappropriate things all the time. And my mom was like the voice of reason that was always embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I got a kick out of that. And I was like, well, I'm going to be more like my aunt and embarrass my mom sometimes. So every time we were leaving like a social gathering, it was the ride home that she'd then be like, you know, you didn't have to do this and you didn't mm, have to do that. Yeah. And it's interesting because and she's like, I mean, I thought I was doing good, not embarrassing you in the moment, which mm -hmm. probably was. I pro it probably would have been way more traumatic if she was scolding me in front of everybody. But to this day, I will be in a group of people and I'll have an amazing time. I'll feel so lit up. And on my ride home, I'll start having these feelings. Wait, did I sense this uh, look yeah. from that person? What, did I do this right? Oh my gosh. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden regret sets in. And so even with the best intentions, like I don't even know a way around that where I wouldn't have been affected. Either way was <laughs> would have sounded like a lose, but it still mm -hmm. affects you so much. And now it's like my life's work where, <laughs> well, a piece of it. When I'm leaving things now, I have to reparent myself in that way where I'm like, okay, yeah. I know these worries are going to set in. So now it's my duty to try to untrain some of that. Like what went right? How, what can I focus on? What the connections that I made, the energy that I created in that space and consciously trying to reprogram myself to experience things in a new way. And that's the thing is, you know, your mom did have great intentions for you. And it's the other thing about children is that it's, that's really interesting as well. That really makes me think as I dive into early childhood development is that we only remember 
uh, when we look back at a memory, we're only remembering about 50% of what truly happened. So which means that we're fabricating 50% of it in some sort of way, whether that's just changing a little bit or making it more or less or whatever it is. And so we can replay those memories over and over and over again, and they can be actually be, you know, 50% false. And, you know, I would say that your mom did take the better route, obviously, of not yelling at you in public, because that could be traumatic as well. But then also, if you have it that way, I bet that there's a part of you that you're just like, oh my God, like same thing, like that phrase, I, I just came up with it one day because it popped in my head of like, am I doing this right? And we're all kind of wondering, am I doing this right? And, and I was, I just hired somebody yesterday for my team and, uh, he's a young kid and he's like, I had a question for you. Like what made you so driven when you were in Cutco to want to be the, the number one office out of 700 of them? And I was like, I was 22 years old, 23 years old actually. And my father had passed away eight years ago and I was still asking him, am I doing this right? And that's where I got my self-worth from was from beating everybody else and being number one and being competitive. And so it's like, it's, it's all the exact same soup. We just have different bowls that we hold it in. You know, yours is on the drive home. Mine is trying to prove myself to my father who passed away. But ultimately what we're always doing is just going, Hey, am I doing this right? And, um, and, and I think that, that ultimately it's just, we just have to figure out a way to go, you know what, I'm doing the best that I can with the tools that I have. And hopefully I didn't offend anybody in every, the way that it should. And at the same time, you have to realize that a lot of times the way that your parents socialized you, if you're going to give yourself that form of grace, you have to give your parents that form of grace as well. Of like, a parent's not going to be a worse parent than they are capable of being, right? So even if they were a crappy parent, they did the best they had with the tools they had. And that's with the cards that you were given. And so you've got to go, you know what, that's in the past. And what am I supposed to learn from it? Just the same thing with this coronavirus we're going through. Like, what am I supposed to learn? I ask myself every day, what am I supposed to learn from this thing? And I think that that's the important thing is when you do have a life event, no matter how big or small it is, life is about learning and just extracting a lesson from every single event that you have. And I think that if you can live your life going, okay, you know, maybe next time I won't be hard on myself for the way that I said that, but maybe next time I'll say this in a different way, whatever it is that it might be. And just give your, if we could just all give ourselves more grace, everybody should be able to breathe a little bit easier, you know? True. And it's interesting too, because I view our species as like, you know, we're not just developing from birth till death we're going down a lineage. And when I look back mm-hmm. at my family lim- lineage, I remember growing up and my mom, I had an awareness. I believe my mom told me that she didn't hear I love you that much when she was growing up. And my grandparents are amazing too. We have a really close relationship. They're the mm-hmm. best, but they weren't raised where they said I love you. So they were kind of uncomfortable. And I remember being right. a child being like, I'm going to change this. So I would make this point to be like, I love you, Nanny and Poppy, which is what we call my grandparents. And <laughs> and then my mom changed that in the way she raised me, where we were always saying, I love you. And even in our family, looking at it, we are the ones that are most vocal about our love for each other. <laughs> and then now there's plenty of things that I'm going to change from the way my mom raised me. But it's like, we are evolving as humans. We didn't know the same things that we knew 100 years ago that we know today. Science is teaching us more about how the brain develops. We're learning more about how children develop. We're learning more about how the universe works and how to change. Like mindset work 50 years ago was not really a thing. You know what I mean? And And so now it's just our responsibility to use what we know and do the best with it. Whereas even for some people, maybe they can look at their lineage and maybe it wasn't improving decade or generation after generation. However, I have the belief that 
our souls choose our, our families. They yeah. choose the hardships. I was going to go down that route, to. but I didn't know how woo woo you wanted to get. <laughs> so oh, we I, go I, full I'm gonna, woo here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And so it's like, if you were born to parents of alcoholics that were also abusive and it was the worst ever, what was in that for you? As, as hard as it might be to compare maybe with other loving families that you see, what did you gain from that? What could you still gain from it if you choose to still have the courage to look at how it's still affecting you today? For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I had this conversation with my mom. My mom's very religious. I am not. I'm very spiritual Same. now, though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're like twins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, well, it's, 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 it's like uh, it's the way the universe works. You, you connect with people that are supposed to, you know, that you can. There's a whole other story about yogurt knows yogurt. And, and it's like, you know, not to go too off topic, but this will, this will intrigue some people. If you, take a, if you take a box of yogurt, flip it upside down and put it, put it there, you know, yogurt, you feed whatever the, the microorganisms are in there with milk. Um, if you were to take the yogurt, cut it in half and put one on one side of the table, one on the other side of the table, and you give milk to one of them, the other one starts acting like it's about to be fed. If you were to take the other one and put it into another room, and then feed the other one, it would still act like it's supposed to be fed. And so it's the phrase of yogurt knows yogurt. So it's like the, the universe gives you people that are similar to you because you start to connect and you start to know each other. You start to understand each other much quicker, which allows you to go deeper. Um, that's just my phrase that I love to say when we have very like similar backgrounds and we can like connect and really be there together. But going back to you know what we were just talking about, is I was having this conversation with my mom, and my mom's very religious. So, you know, I I never understood reincarnation until I did a bunch of psychedelics. And then I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense now. I completely understand this whole <laughs> soul too. thing. Right. And so so I was in the car ride with my mom the other day and I said, this is about two months ago. And we were talking about my mom still uh, resents my father in some sort of ways. You know, they he died, you know, almost about gonna be 19 years this year. And she still resents him and holds in some sort of way. And and she had to go through a lot of stuff. So so rightfully so. And that's her journey. But um but she's like, so you like, do you not resent him anyway? I was like, no, I'm actually grateful for him. And you know, the way that I see it, I was like, mom, let me ask you a question. Let me just talk about your soul and just go through this journey with me and see what you think. And I've asked this question many times. And I said, do you feel like, um, a human being that's having a spiritual, um, like a spiritual time, or do you feel like a spirit that's having a human experience? So that, that's what it is. Are, are you a human having a spirit experience? a human having a spiritual experience or a spirit having a human experience. My mom's one of the few people who have responded, I feel like I'm a human having a spiritual experience. I was like, okay, let's work through that. Cause I don't, I feel like I'm a spirit that happens to be inhabiting this body. It's just my car. This is my vehicle for this, this lifetime that I have. But I feel like my soul is infinite. Like I just have this knowing, this feeling that's deep inside of me. And, um, I go, let, let me ask you this question. When grandpa died, we were in the room, my grandfather died, her dad. And I go, when grandpa died, five minutes before he died, how much, you know, how much difference in his weight before he died versus five minutes after he died? And she's like, he weighed exactly the same. And I said, right. So then what happened? And she's like, well, he basically left his body. And I said, what left his body? She's like, well, maybe his spirit. I was like, so maybe he's a spirit that's having a human experience. And now he's just going back to wherever he's from. And I go, this is the way I like to see it, mom. The way I like to see it is you and me, our souls are connected. And before you were born, before I was born, we were looking down and we were going, okay, you know, we've had hundreds of lives or thousands of lives or whatever it is. No idea. That's not for me to know or to, to it doesn't really matter at this, this point in my lesson. And you and I are sitting up there together and we're looking down and we're flipping through this book 
kind of like when you go to do karaoke and you have the karaoke book of all the songs, right? And you're looking through and you're flipping through and you're like, you know, Bon Jovi, you're seeing all, see all the different ones, but you're like, you know what? Debbie Dial and Rob Dial. Okay. This is what's going to happen. They're going to go through this. This is what their life's going to look like. Uh, Debbie's going to marry an alcoholic man who passes away when his, her son's 15. Rob's going to be in this. And we look at each other and we go, you want to do it? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, and we knew that for us to get to our next level of our soul or our next level of enlightenment, we had to go on this journey together. And so therefore I can't be mad at that. In fact, I'm actually grateful for him because he was the biggest lesson of my life, which changed the trajectory of my life completely. And so I went through this whole thing and she's like, damn, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense now. And I was like, that's just the way that it makes sense in my head. And I just feel like everything that happens to me is something I'm supposed to learn from. So like we're saying of the the self-worth thing, or if you're talking about the coronavirus or anything that pops up or a breakup or a death, you sit there and you're like, okay, number one, your amount of anxiety and stress and you know depression will be in direct correlation with how much you're resisting the way that the world actually is. So if somebody dies and you're resisting it, you're going to be way more stressed out. But the sooner that you can accept it and go through the grieving process, the quicker you can extract your lesson. And so whatever the event is, you sit there and you accept it and you go, okay, you know, it might take me a few days, but what am I supposed to learn from this? And, um, and that's just the way that I've always seen it. My grandparents passed away 17 days apart. They were together for 71 years. And I remember journaling every single day. I remember journaling that I was in the hospital when my grandfather passed, stayed the night with him. And I journaled that night about what type of person that he was, not knowing that he was going to pass away a few hours later. And then I journaled the next day when, when I went with my mom and her three sisters. It was me, my mom, and her uh, three sisters were the only people there when they told my grandma who had been with my grandfather for 71 years that, you know, her soulmate was gone. And I remember seeing her face, right? And that whole thing like just changed me. And I remember I went up about 20 minutes later to, to a, one of the rooms, the guest rooms, and I just journaled and journaled and journaled like what that feeling felt like. And like, what am I supposed to get from watching that process on somebody? Like somebody processed that on their face. And I remember going through the entire process and then she basically was like, I'm done here. And she basically shut it down. Like she didn't want to, she didn't kill herself like physically, but she shut it down. And 17 days later she passed away. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like not, not in a bad way, but I was like, the way that I viewed the world is not the actual real way it's happening. She decided to shut the body down and to leave because she had had, she had, you know, filled her, fulfilled her purpose. And so through that whole process, I really started thinking about my soul and my soul's journey and what happened. And, you know, being in the room, my grandfather passed away was like, I would not want to be anywhere else in the world because it's the most humbling experience to, to be in the room when somebody dies, but it really changes your view on what life actually is. I love the way you put that. And I think so many people believe that Finding love and acceptance in something really hard means that somehow you just zend out and you're avoiding all the feelings, you're avoiding the grief. But yep. acceptance doesn't mean avoiding the grief. It actually is the opposite of avoiding anything. It's letting go of your preconceived notions of of your of pushing back, of resisting. It's it's that what we talked about before about either doing or being. It's being through it which means feeling all the human emotions that you're, that's going to happen with it, which means going through the stages of grief, which means doing what you can to be there the most through it mm -hmm. rather than avoid any of it. And so 
loving and acceptance of something really hard like that, of what we're going through right now, is being courageous enough to actually be dragged through the mud and and have the awareness enough to look inside and say like why why did i experience that why did i see that thing on that person's face why am i now stuck in my home why do i feel the collective fear of everybody what can i take from this rather than pushing your own agenda it's a, it's a time to receive as i view it for sure and and i want to say something i want to say something what you said that that's really good too it isn't zenning out it, it's actually feeling the emotions more than you've ever felt the emotions. People could call it weird and sadistic if they want to, but when something bad happens, I want to feel it. You know, I really want to feel what that is because I can't appreciate a beautiful sunset with my girlfriend and my dog if I haven't been drugged through a whole bunch of crap. Like it's the sunset is more beautiful and life is more beautiful even in the most boring times when I felt the lowest of low emotions and you know, like I said earlier, is that most people try to keep busy so they don't feel it. When you know, don't keep busy and you don't distract yourself is when you truly do feel it. And you feel it and go, okay, is this what I want to be happening right now? No, but there is some beauty in the darkest, darkest moments. Like I went through a really bad breakup, you know, 11 years ago, 10 years ago now. And I remember literally crying in my bathroom on the floor and even though I would never want to feel those feelings again, I'm so grateful that I felt them um, because it gave me more, more like love and respect when you are in a good relationship. And I just think like you can't have the highest highs without having the lowest lows. But if you're restricting yourself from feeling those lows, you're also restricting yourself from eventually feeling the highs. I agree completely, especially because we, even on the way of, of just how we're going to experience something. Like I remember, I didn't understand stopping and pulling over for, to see a beautiful view when I was 11. Like it meant yeah. nothing to me, you know? <laughs> I was like, I don't get this. I see a brown mountain, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. And and also though, during those times of when we are distracting and stimulating and distracting and stimulating the cycle that we're constantly, so many of us are constantly going through, you are creating habits. And so you're mm -hmm. going to be distracting and stimulating through the beautiful views and through the things that you could sit there. And there's so many times now that because of what I've gone through, I'm able to sit there and it feels like euphoria in my body. A good meditation feels so good in my body. Whereas before it was hard to even do because I wasn't allowing myself to be ever. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for all that you've shared. I ended up I was just going to do a little research on you and your podcast and I ended up listening to way more episodes than I thought because they are, <laughs> they're so good and they're just like bite-sized, easy to listen to in one sitting. And it's interesting. I was noticing that uh, before the lockdown, you had these certain topics like stop being the victim and everything's mm -hmm. amazing and people are miserable. And it almost yeah. felt like the most beautiful foreshadowing for what we were about to experience. <laughs> and then yeah. now you I have all these thought topics. of that. You, that's a great point that you've made. Yeah. It, it was I, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I just think that life is a beautiful thing and I'm trying to extract everything that I can out of it. So, you know, I think that 
that going through this, once again, I don't, I actually feel it. Like I really do. I, I'm an empath. So I feel, I was driving yesterday and I was like, I feel other people's emotions. I'm lucky enough to not have somebody that I know. I've had a couple of friends get sick with coronavirus, but nobody's died or anything. So I've lucky enough not to go down that process, but I've been feeling other people's emotions through it. And I'm still trying to extract lessons from it at all times. And whether it's this or whether it's something else or whether it's another thing in 10 years, you know, I'm always just a constant learner of just saying like, what is this supposed to be teaching my soul? Because like I said, I see this as I see it kind of like a video game and this is just the level I'm on the coronavirus level. That's just the way that I see it. And you know, the worst thing that could happen is all of these beautiful things come into my life and these awarenesses and lessons that I'm supposed to take. And I miss them because I'm too you know, busy, not paying attention to them. So I think if everybody could just be a little bit more positive, just ask yourself anytime something happens, good or bad, what am I supposed to learn from this? I think that they'll grow so much faster. So for listeners who can't get enough of this conversation, where is the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah. So if they're podcast listeners, they can listen to my podcast. It's called The Mindset Mentor. Um, it's like, you know, 12 to 15 minutes. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and then, you know, if they like, you know, videos, if they're a video person like I am, um, Facebook and Instagram are, are the biggest ones. And then, you know, if anybody had anything that that I can help them with and they just want to send me an email and see if I can help them, it's robdial.com. Um, so R-O-B-D-I-A-L, super simple. And, you know, whatever whatever way you want to consume my content, I'm out there all over the world and you know, you could just Google me as well. So, um, I'm all over, I'm trying to create more content in this coronavirus time just so we can, you know, try to impact and, and help people as much as possible. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear that's out there. So I'm trying to help, uh, you know, mitigate that with a lot of people. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 132. I hope you all were as inspired as I was by this conversation. Your challenge this week is to give yourself a little space let yourself grieve if needed. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you need a good laugh. We're all going through this. Yes, in different ways, but your feelings are valid. Some people have it worse. That will always be the case. Some people have it better. That will always be the case. So whether you're feeling sadness or joy, both are okay. There's really no use comparing. You can still feel joy knowing that other people in the world are suffering. It doesn't help anybody if we sink to that level and only focus on that. Use those feelings to inspire you to action. Instead of feeling guilt, feel gratitude. Just tune inward, ask yourself, what do I need to release? And focus on that this week. And know that through it all, I am sending you love. If you need to reach out, connect with me on IG at MindLoveMelissa. If you loved this episode, please share it with someone who needs it. Take a screenshot and tag MindLoveMelissa or MindLovePodcast and share it on Instagram. Or just hit the share button and send it straight to a friend. As always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with MindLove. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.